We can, we can look to Israel and see their constant conflict with the Palestinians or civil war in Sudan. It's evident that peace is hard to come by. We live in Illinois and we can look to Chicago and see a community that needs peace. There is so much violence in Chicago that some have called Chicago Chirac. In 2018, Chicago had 561 murders, 2,948 shooting victims, and 2,391 shooting incidences. Yes, all these numbers are down from the previous years, but it still is evidence that peace is lacking. Peace is lacking in the lives of individuals. Peace is lacking in the lives of families. Marriages are filled with all kinds of troubles. Parents and children argue and fight with one another. We lack peace even within ourselves. We have conflict within ourselves. One minute we're angry, the next minute we're sad, and then we're happy. And sometimes we can't even identify why we feel any of those emotions at any given time. We need peace. We need peace with others, and we need peace within. Do you have peace? Where is it from? Do you know where to find peace? How to keep the peace? Do you know what makes peace happen? Would you even recognize peace if it were offered to you? And if you found peace, would you even know what to do with peace? Our text this morning is a fulfillment of prophecy, and it can only be explained in light of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we look at this passage of Scripture, we're going to look at the Old Testament prophet Zechariah, and we're going to look some at the Apostle Paul to glean some insight and help us to understand this passage more fully. This passage of Scripture reveals to us something that many do not know, and that is true and lasting peace. We see a peace that the world cannot give and that the world cannot take away. Peace that is offered by God that comes only through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the question for us to answer is, do we want that peace? So first, peace is found in a person. Peace is found in a person. So as we look at verses 28 through 40, we see that peace is found in a person. Jerusalem is the city of peace. The king is riding on a cult of peace, and there is praise for peace. The Lord has been predicting his death since chapter 9, verse 44. And in verse 51, we read, When the days drew near for him, meaning Jesus, to be taken up, he, being Jesus, set his face to go to Jerusalem. From that verse on, the Gospel of Luke builds to verse 28 of the chapter where the Lord finally arrives at the holy city and it's in the city of peace that Luke would reveal to us that Jesus is the king of peace and Luke reveals this to us in three ways. First, the city of peace, which is Jerusalem. The city of peace, which is Jerusalem. So our first clue that Luke is focusing in on the theme of peace is in the name of the city, Jerusalem. So there are cities today that have Nicknames, right? We have cities that, that have their nicknames. Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. I tend to think it's not, but that's what they call it. But, but uh, that, that's what we say. The city of brotherly love. Pittsburgh is known as the Steel City. Detroit is known as Motor City. Las Vegas is known as Sin City. Denver is known as the Mile High City. And I'm sure we all know what Chicago is. It's the Windy City. 
Right? The name Jerusalem literally means foundation of peace. And so we have this revealing that the theme is peace. First, from the name of the city, foundation of peace, the city of peace. Secondly, by riding on a cult of peace. So the Lord's kingship is one of peace. We see this in verses 29 through 35. When the Lord instructs his disciples to enter into a nearby village, they will find a colt there that has never been ridden, and he tells them to untie it and bring it to them. And if anyone asks, why are you untying this colt? They are to answer, the Lord needs it, or the Lord has need of it. This whole exchange is kind of, it's fascinating to me. The prophet Zechariah helps us understand what's going on when he says in Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey? So you see, Zechariah predicted that the true king of Israel would come to Jerusalem on a young, unused colt. And now when the kings come into cities in times of war, they're not riding on a colt. They are riding on war war horses. However, if a king came riding into the city on a donkey or a colt, it meant that they were coming in peace. This whole scene is really interesting. It's like the the disciples are rustling livestock or something when you look at it they they're asked what uh what they're doing and it's like they have to give a password you said it's like when people ask you what you're doing you say this the lord has need of it we have no background or anything i mean who shows up to take someone's donkey and some people say what are you doing untying my donkey because it's like they're stealing this donkey and they say the Lord has need of it and the people are just like, oh, go ahead then. Right? I mean, it's fascinating when you stop and think about it. Where does that ever happen that you go and take something and you just give this response and like, go ahead, it's yours. Perhaps the owners were expecting the Lord just as Zechariah promised. The cool part is knowing their Lord had, been, uh, had need of it was all they needed to know. That's all they needed was for the disciples to say the Lord has need of it and they're okay with the donkey going. We would do well to ask ourselves that question often. Does the Lord need this? How about when you spend your money? Does the Lord have need of this? Sometimes I wonder if we're willing to let King Jesus stake his claim over his own royal property that we think we own. Because we don't. It's his. And perhaps we should ask ourselves that question. Does the Lord have need of this? Regardless, Jesus comes riding the colt of peace. Finally, let's notice this. The praise of peace. Just in case somehow we've missed it, that Jerusalem is a city of peace and he's riding the cult of peace. Just in case we've missed it, we see the praise of peace. We can look at what the crowds proclaim concerning Jesus. In verse 37, we have a parade of praise. 
We have this whole multitude, meaning a significant number of people, that began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. And then Luke tells us why it is that they're praising God with a loud voice. For all the mighty works they had seen. But there's more because look at what they're saying. They're saying this. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven. Matthew tells us that they were proclaiming Hosanna and laying their cloaks before the Lord. The crowd has discerned adequately that the Lord's coming has something to do with peace. Their words take us all the way back to the birth of our Savior. When the angels cried out, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people he favors. Wherever Jesus goes, he brings peace. When he was born, the angels cried peace on earth. When he's about to be crucified, the people cry out peace in heaven. In the Gospel of John, when Jesus is speaking to the disciples about what must take place, he tells them, peace I leave with you, peace I give you. Listen, the king of peace is entering the city of peace on a cult of peace. Oh, that we would know the peace of God. Peace is only found in the person of God's Son, Jesus Christ. He is our peace. We, cannot, uh, we can never have peace with God or peace with others or peace within until Jesus Christ becomes our peace. What is this peace that we can have through King Jesus? Well, let me tell you. It's an understanding that He is in control of all things and it puts our soul at rest. It is knowing that no matter what happens in the rest of the world, there is a stillness, a quiet, confident certitude that everything is going to be okay because it is all for our good and it's for his glory. It is a peace that we know that the world slowly sinks to the depths of hell around us. That our salvation is secure no matter what. When Christ comes, he comes to give us peace. We are sinful rebels against God we are far from God we are far from his will and Jesus comes to bring us back to God that we might have peace with God here's the beauty of it because he not only reconciles us to God but he reconciles us to one another the New Testament church is supposed to be a community of peace where people of peace are gathered together where all of their fears and all of their failures are stilled and calmed and quieted you see Christ has joined us to himself and therefore because we are all joined to Christ he has joined us to one another in peace whoever knows Jesus and has seen his mighty works can't help but praise him for everything that he's done the Pharisees are angry, right? Not only do they refuse to worship Jesus, but they wish that no one else would worship Jesus either. If only these Christians would curb their enthusiasm. They think the crowd has gone too far and Jesus needs to rebuke his disciples. They, it's like this needs to stop now. Oh, but the response of Jesus is so sweet because the king will have his worship. When the Pharisees told him, turn down the volume, Jesus answers, I tell you, if they are silent, these very stones will cry out. By saying this, 
Jesus was claiming that he deserved the worship of all of creation. He said, I deserve the worship of the entirety of creation. Wow. Even if human beings stop worshiping, they stop singing my praises, he will still have the glory he deserves because he is worthy. Picture the scene. Jesus riding down the Mount of Olives. They tell him, quiet everyone down. And he says, if necessary, every stone on that mountainside will join my choir. The very stones of the ground would open their mouths to declare their maker's praise. The Bible tells us that the creation waits with eager longing for the day of salvation when it will be set free from its bondage to decay and decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God in Romans 8, 19 and 21. Isaiah tells us the trees will clap and the mountains will skip and sing. The sky will proclaim his handiwork. The psalmist says everything that has breath praise the Lord. In these verses, Jesus gives us a sense that in that painful longing, the creation is almost bursting to sing its songs. The rocks are ready at any moment to break their stony silence and shout for joy that Jesus is the King. Oh, church, I say to you, don't let anyone stop you from praising King Jesus. So often we, we come into church and we say silly things like, oh, I don't like this or I don't like that. You know, I don't like a drum or I don't like this sort of instrument or I don't like someone raising their hand I, I kind of feel uncomfortable if they're raising their hand or I don't like this music or that music oh how silly that is nothing should stop you from praising Jesus nothing including those people who seem to be outwardly religious do not be afraid to express yourself when you praise Jesus why why should we never be afraid to express ourselves in our praise of Jesus Christ because he is worthy of all praise that we might give him if Christ brings you peace then we should bring him praise oh that would be a prayer and thought and intent of our hearts and lives that we would have the praise of peace that Christ brings to us. But not only do we see that whole idea of Jesus being the person of peace, we also see that peace is problematic. Peace is pro problematic. As we look at verses 41 through 44, we notice that the Lord sees Jerusalem. Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace, weeps. He weeps. Which reveals to us that it's possible to have peace and weep over something. In this case, Jesus is weeping over the city. He's weeping over lost sinners who could not and would not see who he was. And perhaps, just perhaps... 
There's something wrong when we claim to have the peace of Christ in our lives, but we never seem to shed the tears of Christ over a world that is lost and condemned to hell. Just perhaps there's a problem. Perhaps that is no peace. Perhaps it's just us being indifferent. And very possibly, it's us being hard-hearted. Jesus looks at the city that he loves. And his heart melts. Stop and think about it. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, is crying. The Son of God, who possesses all power, all glory, looks on the city of sinful man and weeps. There's no rolling thunder. There's no flashes of lightning. No divine curse that he's about to utter forth. The earth did not quake and destruction was not there. But instead, tears flow and fall down the Savior's face. He weeps for the city. He weeps for entire cities. He weeps for entire communities. He weeps for entire nations. He weeps because he has come and they've somehow missed the true peace. It's eluded them in some way, shape, or form. It has become problematic and it is problematic in two specific ways. One, not knowing what makes for peace. Not knowing what makes for peace. The reason peace is problematic is when people do not know what actually makes for peace. And this is revealed to us in verse 42. The Lord wishes that Jerusalem knew the key to peace, but they don't. He wished he knew what it was that would calm their hearts and minds, but they don't. He wishes they knew what would heal all their relationships and would give them confidence before God, but they don't. Now let's be honest. Even today, there are cities full of people who do not have a clue as to what will produce peace. In fact, if we're honest, we know that people try many things to get peace, right? They try to self-medicate with drugs or alcohol, thinking that somehow that's going to provide them peace or get the thoughts out of their mind. Others will try sex, relationships, money, or power, thinking somehow the solution is found in these things and somehow that's going to help them get peace. Still, some will try a false religion or a cult trying to earn peace. Like they think, well, maybe I can earn peace. And if we were to ask many people what they are searching for, if we drilled right down to it, most of them are searching for peace. But substitutes for peace will not offer lasting peace. Jesus has come to give us peace. That's what he provides. And when he comes to the knowledge, or when we come to the knowledge of salvation, the forgiveness of our sin and the righteousness of God, we find peace. Our call is that we would guide others to the same peace that we found. The call is that if you know peace found in Jesus Christ, that you would then find others that do not know that peace and you would guide them to the peace that you know. So the first reason that peace is problematic is not knowing what makes for peace. This, we, we probably have plenty of people in Washington, Illinois that have no idea what makes for peace, that are searching for peace and you have 
peace. Therefore, you should be guiding them to the peace that you know. But secondly, not knowing that God is with us. Not knowing that God is with us makes peace problematic. We see this in verses 43 and 44. There's coming a day when Jerusalem will be surrounded and attacked by their enemies and the enemies will reduce the city to rubble and tear families apart because they did not know nor did they recognize the moment of the visitation when God came to them. So peace is difficult to find. It's problematic if you do not know what that God is with you. Listen, everything that Jesus has prophesied in verse 43 has happened. AD 70, the Romans came in, occupied and destroyed Jerusalem as well as the temple. No stone was left on another. What that city once became uh, or what that city was became obliterated. It was beyond recognition. The Lord says it would have been different if they would have recognized that he had come to visit them, but they didn't. Have you ever bothered to stop and think how many of our problems are, that are in our life stem from the fact that we fail to recognize God's presence with us? It was true in Jerusalem. It still holds true today. Yet we know that Christ has fulfilled God's law by sacrificing himself on the cross. His act of self-giving is what has made peace. Peace between men, peace within, and peace with God. See, when Christ dies for our sins, he ended the struggle that is found in this fallen world. So, whether we are Jews or Gentiles, by the preaching of Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, and resurrected, we have peace. It is by faith in the Son of God that we receive reconciliation with God and for this very reason we have no need to earn God's approval because we can't earn God's approval we never could earn God's approval you could never do enough works in your life to get approved by God we stop trying to please men because we can't please men and instead we begin to live a life that pleases God who accepts us not because there's anything good in us he doesn't look down and say oh well, look at that person boy that Josh Monda he sure is a good fella that's not why we are accepted because there is no good in me we are accepted by his grace and he receives us as his own son oh the glory of God he doesn't see us in our sin but he sees us as his son we don't worry about God accepting us because Christ has become our righteousness we don't have to worry about the justice of God because Christ has become condemned for us he was punished in our place. All the anger of God towards the sin of men is satisfied in the Son of God. There's peace with God. And we have this confident assurance that in believing and following Jesus, we are reconciled to our Father in heaven and to our brothers on earth. Some people might say, well, if, if God is with us, then why do churches fight? Right? Some people might say that. If God is with us, why, why do churches, why do they have little fights and why do churches bicker about stuff and yada, yada, yada. We go on and on and on. You know, they, churches seem to lack peace. They can't even get along. 
By the way, we've only had one non-unanimous vote since I've been the pastor here. I don't know if you realize that. And you know what it was? To redo the baptistry. <laughs> That's the only one we've had. Now, I'm not saying start voting no on stuff, okay? We, I, I like a unanimous vote. I'm just, I'm just saying, why do churches, right? Why do they seem to lack peace? And here's my answer. We don't let church squabbles fool us into thinking that there is no peace. There are periods of disagreement. And sometimes there are periods of sharp disagreement. But those struggles should never rob us of peace as the people of God. Because our peace isn't found in a building. Our peace isn't found in necessarily, it's not found in one another. Our peace isn't found in what we do. Our peace isn't found in how we look. Our peace is not found in, in anything other than Jesus Christ. He is our peace. And, and we are reconciled to God through Jesus. And he reconciles us to one another and to the faith. Nothing in all of this world can destroy that peace that comes from Jesus. Yet, it will be problematic if we fail to realize that God is with us. We've seen that peace is found in a person. That peace is problematic. Now let's see thirdly that peace requires preservation. Peace requires preservation. So not only is peace problematic, but once we have it, it requires us to preserve it. Keeping peace is like mowing your grass or monitoring your exercise, or investing in relationships. In fact, peace is fundamentally a relationship with Christ. It shouldn't surprise us then when we must give peace with Christ constant attention. So I want to provide with you two ways in which peace is preserved. Two ways that we need to preserve peace in our life. First... Peace is preserved by speaking with God. Peace is preserved by speaking with God. As we look at verses 45 and 46, we realize that Jesus purges this temple and he restores prayer, right? That's what, that's what happens um, in verses 45 and 46. And he entered the temple and he began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And then we go on, and he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all of the people were hanging on his words. So, he cleanses the temple. These people were not true worshipers. Sinful men make religion big business. People always have and always will attempt to make money off their gods. Those people aren't true worshipers or teachers. They're false teachers and they worship money. In Jesus' time, the money changers would set up shop right in the temple... 
And so you would enter the courtyard of the temple. And, and right there, as you enter into the courtyard, they would be selling animals that you need in order to sacrifice for your offering. But here's the deal. They would price gouge the people and making even more money than they needed to make. They were, they were doing what they were, what they were doing was to make as much money as possible and they weren't doing it out of religious honor. It'd be like, it'd be like if I said to you, you know what, in order to enter the church, you need, you know, this wooden nickel. And I had like wooden nickels there at the door. And I said, now you need this in order to enter the church. And this cost me five cents, but it costs you five dollars. Right? And I'm sure y'all love the church so much that you'd still pay five bucks and come anyway. No, I'm, just, I'm messing around. But uh, that's, that's what it would be like. That's, that's exactly what's going on. And so they would sell these animals and charge outrageous money. In addition to that, you had to pay the temple tax. To pay the temple tax, you needed half a shekel in local currency. And so the exchange rate would be super high to make even more money. Oh, you need a half a shekel in order to pay the temple tax. And, oh, you only have this. Well, we got to charge you more money so you can get this half a shekel. So that the temple had become a den of thieves. Some people look at this and they're like, well, this is saying that you could never sell anything as a church. You could. That's not what it's saying. They had made the temple a den of thieves. Religion was being commercialized. They were trying to sell Jesus. But Christ is not a commodity. And the gospel is not for sale. And so he cleans the temple out. Listen, sometimes if peace is going to be preserved, it requires confrontation. Jesus makes a whip and he drove them out to say that Jesus is the king of peace or the prince of peace does not equate to Jesus being soft because he can be angry just like he can weep. And, and here's what angers Jesus. It's predators who are corrupting worship. Jesus is angry because God's intention was always that his house be a house of prayer. For the nations. Do you get that? A house of prayer for the nations. Do you know who had to pay the most in the temple taxes because of the exchange rate? And who had to suffer the most to buy the animals? The Gentiles. Do you know who suffers most and most often in our Americanized churches? The nations. Jesus is bringing the nations to us because we haven't gone to them and so often, they're suffering the most. A house of prayer for the nations. And Jesus is angry because they are neither praying to God, nor are they reaching the nations. What about us? 
What about us? What about our church? Are we willing to reach the nations? Are we, are we praying to God? Do we have this emphasis in our personal lives on, on prayer and that we need to reach the nations? We are called God's temple personally and his priesthood personally. And therefore, we ought to be a people of prayer. Are you a person of prayer? If you want the peace of God to be preserved, then you can never pray enough. The mind that is dependent upon God, he will keep in perfect peace. Isaiah tells us, so let, so let me ask you this. Do you pray as you should? What is it that is currently robbing you of prayer and peace in your life? What is it that's kind of stealing away the peace that's supposed to be found in Christ? Is there something in your life right now that you need to get rid of because it's robbing you of peace and because you are not a person of prayer? If so, get rid of it. Don't put anything before Christ because he may have to cleanse you his temple. Peace is preserved by speaking with God. Or we could say peace is preserved through prayer. Just because that kind of sounds better. And I just said that right now as I was speaking. But anyway, peace is preserved, secondly, by listening to God. So once the Lord has cleansed the temple, okay, he comes in. I, I always find this interesting. Comes in, he cleanses the temple. Saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. The very next verse. And he was teaching daily in the temple. Teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. But they did not find anything they could do for all the people were hanging on his word. So he cleanses the temple. He goes right back to teaching. Jesus loves to teach. Verse 48 makes it clear. Daily he's teaching in the temple. Stop and think about how important his teaching must be if near the end of his life he's teaching every day in the temple. So Jesus is teaching in the temple and we read the leaders are seeking to destroy him. Now, here's what is great. They are seeking for a way to destroy him. But guess what? They can't find anything that they can do. Why? Because it says everyone is hanging on his words. They're all hanging on his words. Now, if you've ever been a public speaker... That's something you wish would happen when you're, when you're speaking. You know, I, I, I just imagine everybody's just like, they're just like in awe of what he's saying. Sometimes people are in awe of what I'm saying, but it's not because I'm saying something so great. It's because I'm saying something so, they're like, did that just come out of his mouth? I can't believe it. So that's what usually happens with me. But that's not with Jesus. He is, his teaching is so, so great that they're literally hanging on his words. There's so many people peacefully listening to the words of Christ that violence and conflict could not advance. 
It says they hung on his words. As conflict around them raged and surged, they listened to Jesus. They were content listening to him. They were filled with peace. Their remedy to blindness and to ignorance and anger is listening to God's word. Are you captivated by the word of God? When you are in a season of peace, are you preserving that by listening to the words of Christ? Listen, I know you can attest to this. God's people don't always have peace and quiet, especially if you have children. You don't have peace and quiet. In just a few days, the calm of this scene will be shattered by the crucifixion. You see, the peace that comes before the storm suggests to us that we may better survive our suffering and our disappointments by using those seasons of peace to store up the Lord's word in our life. Because trust me, there will be times when your peace will be shattered. You must preserve peace now. Later, the disciples remembered what the Lord had taught them while he was with them. They recall the memory of his teaching. They regained and preserved peace by recalling that teaching they had received in times of peace. They were able to correctly interpret and eventually understand the horror that comes on Calvary. What about you? Are you captivated by the Lord's words? Are you more focused on the chaos around you than you are on the words of Christ? So what is your response to Jesus this morning? Do you know his peace? Are you praising God for it? If you have never trusted in Christ as your Savior, then you will never truly know peace. Because it's only found in him. You won't know peace with God and you won't know peace in your life and you won't know peace with others because it's only found in Jesus Christ. But if you do not, but if you do know Christ, then praise him and seek him and listen to him and you will have peace. The world can't give you peace and the world can't take peace away. Let your heart be touched by the compassion of Jesus today. The same compassion that he had for the lost people in Jerusalem. Let your soul be moved by the zeal he had for the worship in God's house. Let your spirit be captivated by his vision for reaching the world with the gospel of peace. Hang on the words of Jesus Christ. Hang on Jesus himself, especially in his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. Then his passions will become your passions. A love for the lost that stretches from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. A heart for prayer and a holy zeal for the glory of God. May we all know the peace that comes only from Jesus Christ. Do you know that peace? If you don't, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the message this morning. Here in a moment, we're going to sing a song. I'm going to be standing down front. All you have to do is come forward and say, Pastor, I don't know that piece. And I'd gladly talk with you. We can talk after the service. Whatever you need to know peace that comes only from 
Jesus Christ. Or maybe this morning you would say, you know what? Something has crushed my peace and I just need, I need to pray for peace. I need to pray that, that I will have an understanding of what Christ is doing and, and, and uh, just that I'll be focused on him, focused on him through the, his word and through prayer and that I'll know that peace in just a real way. I don't know how the Lord has spoken to you this morning, but I want to give you the chance to respond. So we're going to sing a song in a moment. And I'm going to give you that opportunity. And if you need to respond to this message this morning, then I would encourage you to do so. Let's pray.